Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. This is our news roundup for the week uh, in which we talk about three topics that have been in the news this week and dive into each of them for about 10 minutes each. And so the three topics we'll be talking about today are the Samsung Note 8 launch that happened this week. We'll talk about Amazon Whole Foods, that acquisition, which is now scheduled to complete on Monday with an almost instantaneous effect on prices at Whole Foods, among other things to come later. And then thirdly, the New York Times had an in-depth story about what's been going on with Apple's Project Titan, its car and autonomous driving initiative and how that's evolved over time and some interesting details in there and it's a useful jumping off point for us to talk about that project and where it might go from here. Um, Just before we launch into those three, I'll just point you to our other episode for the week, which is our question of the week episode. And this week that was actually an interview with Mary Jo Foley, who covers Microsoft for ZDNet and various other publications and who's one of the people whose coverage of Microsoft I respect most and uh, very insightful, very knowledgeable about everything that's going on at Microsoft. So we had a really interesting roughly half-hour conversation earlier this week that went up as an episode on, I think, Tuesday morning. And so if you haven't listened to that yet, I'd highly recommend it. It was a great set of insights from Mary Jo, and I'm grateful that she took the time to talk to me about all of that. So let's dive into these three topics that we have for today. Uh, First off, Samsung's launch of the Note 8. There's, of course, been the successor to last year's Note 7, which was a disaster because of the battery issues and the subsequent recall and everything else that went with that. So Samsung basically had to forego the upgrade cycle that would have been associated with the Note 7 last year, uh, really had to put a compelling device out there this year that would be completely safe, not suffer from any of those problems, and in general, uh, would be a hit. And, you know, with a very strong base of very loyal, even fanatical users of the Note, I'd argue it's one of the most loyal and uh, enthusiastic bases of smartphone customers out there. Um, they've certainly got a big upgrade cycle ahead of them uh, if this device does well. And, and what they've put out is a great combination of what was actually a very well-reviewed Note 7 last year uh, before all the battery issues happened, and then borrowing a lot of stuff from the Galaxy S8 that launched earlier this year, especially the display, and then adding a few other things like higher specs, uh, dual cameras, kind of like the iPhone 7 Plus, and... Um, the stylus which has obviously always been a big part of this and really is now the main most obvious differentiator given that the larger of the galaxy s8 phones is pretty much the same size screen wise so interesting launch i was out in new york for it this week and it was an interesting uh, event as well interesting way it was presented but um aaron i'd be curious to see what your take was on all of this yeah i um i I think it's a great phone. I I dug into a bunch of the different first looks that people posted of it. Um, And I guess if you like big phones, this has a lot going for it. You know, I've always been kind of skeptical of the stylus, but I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people who really love that as a form factor. I don't know that it'd ever be a majority of people, but I think a lot of people just love the handiness of having that stylus there. and I think they did a good job leveraging that. Um, they have now the quick note kind of feature with it, so you can type, you can just start writing notes right away, and, and it saves I, like up to a hundred of them without you even having to open your phone. And it just seems that there are a lot of people who will who will really like the new phone. I thought it was pretty cool that the, with the dual cameras, it does the same kind of portrait mode thing that the S. That's the sorry the seven. Uh, plus, plus does mm-hmm. but but it also um, allows you to adjust the background blur um, the bokeh effect 
um, which I think is actually nice because I've seen some seven plus uh, portrait mode photos that I thought were a little heavy handed with the mm, blur. And cousin of mine posted some back to school pictures. You know, now's the season for back to school pictures. Right. And, and uh, to, you know, with the two of her kids, it was clearly taken with a seven plus, and the blur was just really overdone based on the way mm. that it was framed and the distance from the camera and everything. I think being able to adjust that is really cool, and I love how it actually also saves both the the zoom in and the wide angle photos right. um, when you take them because I don't know I mean I guess space is still a premium on some people's phones but as a general rule I think it's great to have everything when you push the shutter button right you know on the camera and yeah. uh, and so I think that's really thoughtful too so there's some nice refinements I won't be surprised if you know Apple ends up doing some similar things with portrait mode for whatever new phones are coming out but um, right yeah, I thought those are nice refinements, and it's good to see that kind of stuff moving in a <clears throat> in an even better direction. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I had some time to play with the um, I th I'm trying to think what it's called. Live focus, I think, is the name of the feature that you're talking about, um, and it is more flexible than what the iPhone offers. It, it has some of the same limitations in that you need to be within a fairly narrow range, distance-wise, of your subject to make it work. So you can't be too close. But you also oh, can't be more than a few feet away, which is also how the portrait mode works on iPhone 7 Plus. And it's just, I think, if you're too close, then the cameras don't get a different enough view. And if you're too far away, then they're too similar as well or something. Um, at any rate, it, it just only works within the same narrow range. But yeah, the flexibility is really nice. I've never really had the issue you're talking about with the iPhone 7 Plus, And that makes me wonder if the picture that you saw was actually taken with a different phone, because there are some other phones out there, like the Pixel, that oh, do that could be. sort of after the fact type adjustments. Um, but but yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a great feature. It works well. I posted a little video on on YouTube, uh, which I linked to from my Twitter account of of me testing out the feature on a picture that I had somebody take of me at the launch event, and it it does work well, and the adjustments work well, and you can you can always go back and change that again. So the information is all still there, and so you can adjust it after the fact and so on, which is nice. So it is flexible, and people are saying, oh, this is better than the portrait mode on the iPhone. But of course, we're about to see new iPhones. Who knows how portrait mode is going to evolve on those phones? You know whether it'll have that kind of adjustability or not. The reality is, for the most part, I find that the iPhone 7 Plus portrait mode works really well. Um, doesn't feel like it's overdone or underdone. My biggest frustration with it is it's kind of slow. So it's fine if your subject is staying fairly still, but if they're moving around a lot, it often doesn't take quickly enough to, to uh, capture exactly what you want it to. So um, that's been my biggest frustration, and, and I will need more time with the Note 8 to be able to say whether that has the same problem. Um, but yeah, overall, really solid phone. Uh, we're expected to see really good upgrades from within the base of Note users, certainly, because especially they, they had to wait a year to upgrade after last year's uh, problems. Um, I don't see it driving a ton of switching from iPhone, not least because this device won't actually be available in stores until after the new iPhones are released. And there isn't that much switching to begin with from iPhone to Android. Um, but people tend not to switch for individual features. They tend to switch on a sort of a platform basis or sort of based on a sort of philosophical approach, not that they might not think it that way, but you know, it tends to be a whole combination of things. And so people don't tend to switch for a single thing. Obviously the stylus is still the most unique thing about the note. And as you say, there's some clever sort of enhancements to that uh, now as well. Yeah, I, 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 my only hang up about the design of it is where they place the fingerprint sensor mm -hmm. that seemed to be universally disliked 
the way it's I mean they did it to make the back look sort of more symmetrical and uniform mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's placed up high next to the cameras mm-hmm. um, but the but that's I mean this is already a really big phone and yeah. most people hold it so that the bottom is positioned in your palm and it sticks mm-hmm. out the top and I don't think very many people have fingers long enough to reach that fingerprint sensor on the right. back from that right. position yeah and the fact that Samsung's facial recognition isn't exactly stellar Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've heard, anyway, it seems like the, the biometric protection of these devices. Um, I I won't be surprised if a lot of people are just using passcodes. Yeah, and iris recognition is a bit better than the facial computer. recognition, but but yeah, I mean, it's if you're in the dark, for example, they're not going to work very well. Um, right. So that's the challenge. That's the biggest single challenge, obviously, that iPhone has to solve when they ditch the Touch ID on the on the larger device. Um, or on the, the premium device, assuming right. they do that, as they've been reported, they, they will do. One other thing that's worth talking about briefly, I think, is price. Yeah, um, and, it, and it's, you know, unlike an iPhone event, Samsung doesn't talk about price at its events because um, it allows the carriers to sort of set their own pricing to some extent. And so the only way we know about the full retail price is each of the U.S. carriers put out press releases right after the event saying, and, you know, these are our various payment plans, and this is the full retail price. And the full retail price is in the sort of $950 range. So that's about $100 more than the last year's note was. Uh, it's, you know, $300 more than the base Galaxy S8 model is, I think. Um, it's way up there. Uh, and, of course, you know, in the context of what's expected to be an, an iPhone at a much higher price, uh, it's an interesting test. Uh, the reality is, of course, nobody really pays that price. For the most part, we're paying installment plans or leasing plans where we pay some small chunk of that, so you're comparing 45 to $35, whatever it might be, a month, rather than the actual sort of $1,000 price point. But uh, it's an interesting test, and clearly we are seeing this trend towards premium phones that come in well above the sort of standard six, $700 price range we've seen for flagship phones in the past. I think there's going to be a lot of adoption of higher-priced phones, driven more by the, by the new iPhone whatever it turns out to be price-wise right. than by the Note per se. Because like you said, I think the Note has a very rabid, dedicated base, but it's not mm-hmm. a huge one. No. Um, but uh, I think what's going to be interesting to watch is how this affects upgrade cycles in the years to come. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people will be sort of willing to jump in with a more expensive phone, but I won't be surprised if upgrade cycles slow down a little bit because of it. Yeah, and on the other hand, I wonder to what extent the sort of leasing and, and early upgrade programs will offset that in that people who are on these plans often get the opportunity to upgrade fairly frequently just as part of a, a monthly plan where you pay just the same amount. And so you're just rolling over to a new phone while your bill doesn't change. And so the sort of upfront impact of buying a new device doesn't hit anywhere near as hard as it has in the past. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that's affected. Yeah, you're right. And in those situations, I... I wonder what adoption will be because it all, you know, that extra $10 a month or whatever it'll be to get the more expensive iPhone or Note or whatever, you know, more expensive device you're buying. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really going to add up for a lot of people and they'll get kind of fed up with it. So, yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to our second topic, which is Amazon Whole Foods. And this week, um, Whole Foods shareholders approved the acquisition. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission, which did a brief investigation, basically said we don't find any grounds to investigate further, which was really not a huge surprise. Amazon's not a major player in groceries right now, and neither is Whole Foods for that matter. 
uh, on a national basis here in the US. And so they basically said, we have no objections to the deal going ahead. And then shortly afterwards, Amazon announced that it was going to close the deal on this coming Monday. And more importantly, that it was going to start immediately making changes at Whole Foods. And so there will be discounts on certain items, mostly fresh items, a few other things, um, starting on Monday at Whole Foods for everybody. So anybody who shops at Whole Foods will suddenly get cheaper prices as a sort of instant impact from Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods. Uh, and then further down the line, there are going to be other integration efforts. So um, Prime subscribers will ultimately be able to get savings and then other benefits which have not been disclosed so far when they shop at Whole Foods. Uh, that's going to have to wait until the point of sale systems at Whole Foods have been upgraded to somehow recognize people as Prime subscribers. And basically, Prime is going to become the loyalty program at Whole Foods as well, which is an interesting twist, uh, given a lot of grocery stores already have these kinds of loyalty programs. Uh, and then they're going to put Amazon lockers in Whole Foods stores. So this is the, the system where if, if you live in a place where deliveries get lost or uh, stolen or whatever, then you can instead have your goods shipped to an Amazon locker and go and pick them up there. Uh, and so they're going to start putting Amazon lockers in Whole Foods stores as well. So there's lots of that sort of stuff coming. But what struck me the most was the first two paragraphs, I think, of the press release that Amazon put out. I think the word price or savings was mentioned three times. That's clearly the major emphasis right now. And that's really striking because if you've ever shopped at Whole Foods or heard people talk about Whole Foods, you do shop there. It's an expensive store. It's not known for being, you know, the cheap store. It's actually pretty expensive. You know, Whole Paycheck is the famous sort of joke that people make about Whole Foods, you know, that you you do pay a premium. And it's, you know, a lot of organic and natural stuff and fairly high-end produce and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it's an interesting match between Amazon, which has been known largely for being a price discounter and Whole Foods, which has been known for being high priced, Amazon comes in and as I say, from day one, will be discounting stuff at Whole Foods. So it's gonna be very interesting. I think, frankly, a, a really brilliant strategy to get a really quick win right out of the gate uh, with consumers by saying, hey, Amazon owns Whole Foods now and it's gonna get cheaper. Yeah, and I think the brand equity from that shouldn't be ignored. That's gonna be a big deal. The right. idea of making Whole Foods accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, the proof will be in the pudding, right? I mean, yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Whole Foods prices are quite a bit higher. So it'll be interesting to see how much lower Amazon can make them. Um, but at the same time, Amazon is very much not afraid of loss leaders. And right. I won't be surprised if they're actually taking losses on certain products in order to drive mm -hmm. more traffic through the stores. A couple of thoughts about this for me. One, I, I'm amazed at how fast Amazon moves. I, I mean, yeah. you know, like basically right as this deal was essentially approved by regulators, they were ready to go with a bunch of really compelling details mm -hmm. and changes that are going to go in right away. Um, that's They move quickly, and that's kind of scary for other retailers, I think. And it has to right. do a lot to do with it, just their massive size. They have so many people. And they're such a large organization with so many resources, they can move fast right. um, because they can put a lot of effort into something like this. Um, so that to me is already pretty, pretty interesting and impressive. And and I'm fascinated too by the idea of Prime, Amazon Prime, being part of you know almost like a membership program. I mean, this is not unlike a Costco membership now in the way it's going to work at Whole Foods, with the exception that, you know, anybody can go into a Whole Foods store, but if you have Amazon Prime, you can get things at a discount when you're there. Um, I'm fascinated to think of all the different other places that Prime can go. I mean, when you think of it, all that, Prime is, 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 is doing really heavy lifting when you think of all the different places Amazon is putting it to use. Um, 
you know, getting free books every month, getting uh, obviously access to streaming. Um, and, uh, you know, this all just originated with getting cheaper, faster shipping. And now they've, now they've stretched it to the point that you can get grocery discounts. And I'm just curious how much far, further Amazon plans to take this and, and how much more they're going to put onto the shoulders of, of this Prime program. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating question. And I think particularly one of the things that I've found interesting about Prime over the last year or two is that there is the core Prime subscription, which, as you say, has all these benefits, starting with shipping and video streaming and then music and books and various other bits and pieces, um, storage, uh, online storage and that kind of thing. Uh, but there's also all the stuff that Amazon's been adding as add-ons. Um, so there's the Amazon Channels product, for example, where you can get HBO and various other premium TV channels as an add-on to your Prime subscription, sort of added onto your Prime bill effectively. Um, they've got a subscribe with Amazon uh, sort of site on their website where you can go and you can subscribe to newspapers and apps and lots of other stuff through there as well. And so it's become kind of a subscription aggregator in that sense. Um, and so that's allowed them to add more stuff to Prime and the sort of stickiness of Prime without necessarily packing more stuff into the core Prime subscription and uh, driving down the margin. So it's been an interesting strategy. And this clearly looks like it will, the Whole Foods discount looks like it will be part of the core Prime subscription. It's worth remembering they've got 400 roughly stores in the US and, um, you know, they're in certain places, but they're certainly not everywhere. You know, you don't cover the whole country with 400 stores. Right. And so a lot of Amazon subscribers, Prime subscribers are not going to live near a Whole Foods, shop regularly at Whole Foods. That won't change once this deal goes through and there are those discounts. So this is one of the sort of cheaper benefits they can offer in some ways because it's just not going to apply to the whole base. It'll apply mostly to people who are going to be shopping at Whole Foods anyway and therefore spending a lot of money with Whole Foods, which now is money that goes to Amazon um, and, you know, where they can potentially be upsold on the Amazon sort of online grocery delivery services and various other things that they do. So it's going to have some interesting benefits there. But your, your broader point is well made, which is, you know, they do keep cramming more and more stuff into there. It's becoming a really powerful hub, not just for stuff that goes directly into that subscription, but also as a sort of foundation for building a lot of other subscription revenue streams on top of it. It'll be interesting to see if other grocery store chains start to adopt a similar concept of a subscription giving access to cheaper prices and other benefits. Because right now it's just all about the data, right? If you right. go to a local grocery store that has a membership program, it's free. You don't pay for it, but it means that they can essentially track all your purchases in a way that helps them make better decisions, especially right. when it comes to advertising. Yeah. Um, obviously, Amazon's going to benefit from all that as well. Um, but uh, there's definitely a lot of customer loyalty that then comes with a paid subscription like Prime giving discounts. Although I will also say it sounds like the discounts won't be sort of across the store, but they'll be no. more product specific. And yep. it, that'll be interesting to see the way it plays out. Because if it's anything like Prime Day, for example, you know, mm -hmm. one in 30 will be a thing you actually right. want to buy yes, and get a yeah. good deal and, on. And, so, and yeah, that's the point. Because, uh, you know, they've announced specific categories. There's a lot of fresh stuff in there. Avocados was this thing everybody's fixated on because of the <laughs> yeah. recent stories about millennials spending all their money on avocado toast. Um, but um, you know, the reality is... The bread, though, is what will happen. Yes, exactly. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, there were a few fresh items. There were, some, I think, peanut butter and some other stuff like that, almond butter. 
Um, but, you know, if you think about the average Whole Foods store and how many thousands of items there are to buy there, and this is a list of, you know, maybe two dozen items that are on discount, yeah. you know, and then some of the fresh stuff that people already know Whole Foods for. But, you know, if you spend go to Whole Foods and say you spend $100 on groceries, you know, maybe $10 worth will be discounted and the rest of it will just be the same price it's always been. And knowing Amazon may even go up because they're quite clever at, you know, raising prices on things that you don't really scrutinize the prices on at the same time. So there could be some interesting sort of subtle stuff that they've learned there from the core Amazon e-commerce business yeah. with regard to pricing as well. Yeah, and it'll obviously have a lot to do with their supply chain prowess, with their sourcing prowess, which they're pretty good at. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I'm sure, going to shape a lot of where the discounts come from as well as what, what can they get in high volume, high quality that's cheap. So right. it'll be interesting to see what turns up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's move on to our third and final topic, which is um, the New York Times story this week. I think it came from uh, Daiwaka Bayashi um, about the Apple car effort known as Project Titan. Um, and at the heart of it was a transition that's been well covered already, which is Apple's move from building a car to building autonomous driving systems. Uh, and so hence sort of focused down the... Project Titan uh, from its original scope to something new. That wasn't new. That's been reported before. Uh, the two things that really were new was a lot of the detail about how broad that scope was originally and some of the specific things Apple worked on and how it came to change. And then secondly, uh, a little tidbit, which I think has been blown out of proportion by a lot of people, which is that Apple's actually uh, planning to test some of its autonomous driving technology on a shuttle that will run uh, either across the Apple campus or between Apple buildings because it has a lot of buildings uh, in Cupertino and the surrounding area. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of fixated on that and thought, ooh, Apple bus, you know, that, that's kind of the product that's coming out of all of this. And that, that clearly isn't the case. I think we can talk about that a little bit. But uh, Aaron, kind of what was your take on that piece? Yeah, I thought the the Apple shuttle on campus thing was really overblown. It was sort of parlayed as like, this is all Apple has to show for this massive effort to move into cars and autonomous driving. Now they'll have a shuttle in a controlled environment for their employees. And it kind of, the, the message was, this is what they have from all this. And I, I, right. I just think that's silly. Um, the truth is, that the, or the problem is with this, is that, you know, we don't know how many R&D roads, dead ends, Apple's gone down. Not even to say that this is necessarily a dead end when it comes to research and development. But the point is, is this one just happened to be really public because it was too hard for Apple to hide. I mean, they had to they had to get regulator permission to put cars out on the roads. You know, right. they had whole separate locations to house engineers. They were doing a hiring spree that was just way too hard to keep hidden, That was, especially the way it was drawing engineers away from, you know, like Tesla, for example. I right. mean, this is... There was this was just way is it was even beyond Apple's powers when, of secrecy to keep this one uh, hidden from view, um, and so that's why it got so much attention. Um, you know, the, there's the, I think there's this constant churn when it comes to research and development that's hidden from us that we don't see what Apple explores and then abandons. This one just happens to be you know more front and center in a way that we can all make I don't know guesses and predictions and criticisms about what Apple could have or maybe should have done or shouldn't have done from the beginning. Um, I think if it was all exposed, people would be really surprised by how much Apple has tried to do and 
decided it wasn't worth it. And who knows what's going to happen with this, too. I I think it's way too early in the car space to declare any winners. Right. I think people are too quick to say that, oh, Tesla's way ahead on this or Uber's way ahead on this. And I don't think that's obvious at all. Yeah. I think there's I think there's just still so much to be figured out. In fact, it's interesting because this week in the news, um, there was there were some rumors swirling about the autonomous driving group at Tesla yeah. um, sort of staging a mini revolt because Elon Musk is, is is essentially making bigger promises and pushing them harder than they feel comfortable with. Right. And there have been some recent prominent departures of senior managers and engineers there. Um, I think if anything tells you that this is if anything recent in the news tells you that this space is not f- formed yet, it's not crystallized yet, it's that. Because mm-hmm. if you've got a founder and CEO of a company in, in such fundamental disagreement with his engineering team about what's possible, then there are no winners yet at this point. Right, right. And, you know, that, on that last point, you can kind of make the argument, you know, Steve Jobs used to put his en- push his engineers incredibly quickly and make promises sure. that weren't necessarily possible to fill. But it's a bit different when you're talking about a computer um, right. and one that hasn't hit the market yet, uh, where the main sort of victims, if you make the wrong decisions, will be your investors, frankly. Uh, it's very different if you're talking about a car that's already out there in production and where you're pushing regular software updates around this, uh, what's called autopilot software, but it's really advanced driver assistance system stuff. Um, you know, if that's dangerous, it's going out into real cars or out on real roads driven by real people and that can have real accidents. And, you know, that's a very different proposition. Um, but yeah, going back to the Apple car, I think my main thoughts with these, I mean, I already made the point about the bus. I think if you look at, if you talk to any of the major car manufacturers about their own autonomy efforts or even ride sharing and things like that, they test a lot of stuff on their campuses. Uh, yeah. And the reason is that it's a controlled environment. It's usually off public roads. It's involving their employees who are going to be more tolerant and less likely to talk about what you're doing and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's you know exactly what the shape of that campus is. You, you know where all the roads are. You can train all the models and systems and so on to work exactly within those confines and so on. And so it's a great way to do some limited testing. And so that's the right way to read this sort of Apple campus shuttle is, you know, this is a really nice controlled environment in which to do this. It's not the only thing they're doing. They have Lexus cars that have been licensed to go out and drive the streets of California uh, for autonomous driving. They've been registered with the California DMV. And at the end of this year, well, uh, Apple will have to file a report along with all the other companies doing the same thing that says how many miles they've driven, how often humans had to take over from systems that didn't work as intended and so on. So there'll be a lot of transparency about that. But fixating on the bus is to miss the point that there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, you know, this week there was a, a really deep dive from the Atlantic about Waymo's uh, automation, uh, automated driving systems um, simulation efforts, you know. And there's, so there's a real world driving, but there's a ton of simulation that happens on computers in labs and so on as well, which helps to train the systems. And, you know, that would be entirely out of public view. So, you know, there's a lot of different stuff Apple could be doing here. But kind of to set, take a step back and look at the sort of refocusing of this project over time, I think the other big point is, you know, Apple's mantra about new categories that it gets into is, can we make a difference? Can we yeah. enter a market and make a difference? And I think in a market as complex as cars, you have to try a lot of stuff and really dive deep into it before you know where you can make a difference. And I think they probably had to go through a lot of that effort, looking at every aspect of it. And there was crazy details in there, like, you know, spherical wheels and things like that. But the point is, you have to try a lot of different stuff to figure out, okay, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? And and can we apply our unique talents and skill sets as a company to this space and make things meaningfully better? And is this what's worth pursuing? You know, where can we make the most difference? And I think they've just decided, okay, for now, as a company, 
we want to do autonomous driving systems. That seems to be, you know, the closest to our skill set of technology and making it usable and uh, helpful for people and, and leveraging the AI expertise that they have and all the rest of it. That's not to say they wouldn't eventually put that into a car of their own making when they get to that point. Um, it's not to say that they wouldn't license it. You know, we just don't know. Maybe Apple doesn't know yet. But to sort of say they've given up on the Apple car because that's not the current focus is probably a bit of a stretch. Um, and at the same time, they've learned a ton and they will continue to learn a ton that could apply to lots of other projects as well. And you made an interesting point before we started recording about the space program. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Oh, just that the, you know, the, the U.S. space race um, yielded all kinds of important technologies that have nothing that aren't used in any outer space context now. And I, I expect a lot of that kind of stuff is going to be coming out of this as well. I mean, it, you know, it may be less so on the hardware side, more so on the software side. Um, but, uh, you know, I read somebody on Twitter who pointed out, and I wish I remember who had tweeted this, that pointed out that, you know, a lot of the stuff we see coming out in ARKit um, with iOS 11 is the kind of stuff you would be baking into an autonomous driving system. Edge detection, plane detection, you know, essentially understanding the physical space around you and identifying its characteristics is an essential attribute of an autonomous car. And, uh, you know, Apple is going to be in just a few weeks, the world leader in augmented reality <laughs> with AR right. kit. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we found that there was a heavy overlap between that and what they were doing with autonomous driving. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Well, it seems like a good place to end for this episode. So thanks very much everybody for listening. Thanks Aaron uh, for all your insights as usual as well. Um, that wraps up this episode. Again, I'll just remind you about the other episode of the Beyond Devices podcast that went up this week, which was at my interview with Mary Jo Foley about Microsoft. Uh, well worth a listen. Lots of good insights there from her. Uh, she really did pretty much all the talking on that episode as intended. Um, and I'll also briefly plug the other podcast that I do on a daily basis during the week, which is the Tech Narratives podcast, which offers uh, a roundup of the day's tech news, much briefer on each item than the deeper dive that we do in this news roundup every week. So thanks again for listening. Go check those out in your app. Uh, usual show notes for you to check out with links and so on to the things we've been talking about. And we'll be back with you again next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.